The following content is a live panel discussion taken from the second World Tennis Conference in association with the Global Professional Tennis Coaches Association and the Seagal Institute, whose founder, Fernando Seagal, moderated the discussion. If you missed any of the event, you can still sign up to watch exclusive presentations by the likes of Boris Becker, Janko Tipsarevich, Ivan Lubcic, Gilles Savara, Brad Gilbert, Tony Nadal and many many more simply go to worldtennisconference.com to subscribe today because we have our guests in different uh, actions we have uh, the Miami Open and also we have one of our guests in the other side of the world uh, in this panel we have two more uh, guests which uh, one of them is Fernando Sanchez is the vice president of, of uh, player relationship of the ATP. And the second uh, guest is Dave Miley. He used to be the ITF um, development director for more than 70 years. He spent uh, 25 years working the ITF. And right now is the technical director of the Kazakhstan Tennis Federation. We're gonna have their presentation pre-recorded and then at the end, I will talk a little bit about some ideas about the future of the game. Let me share first uh, Fernando Sanchez's presentation. Thank you for being with us again. And uh, let me ask you the, the first questions about the circuit, how it's uh, our HP world. Uh, how do you see the actual circuit, circuit and how do you uh, believe that it can grow for the future? Thank you, Fernando. Very interesting question, to be honest. Um, I, I think tennis, historically, has been a very popular sport. It's been um, one of the most viewed sports um, around the world right now, currently number four, which is great. In tennis, we have a great platform of, of players, incredible um, past players that gave credibility to the sport, plus current players that are actually doing a lot for the sport. At the same time, we do have... Um, Graham out tournament, great platform for tournaments. Uh, we do have great challenger tour, great 250, 500, 1000 um, tournaments, and then obviously the, the Grand Slams as well. So tennis, in my opinion, is in a good spot, but it can get better. And Andrea came, Andrea Gaudenzi, our new chairman, and Massimo, our new CEO, in the last two years, they came with a clear idea to actually change and revolutionize the, the sport uh, a little bit. So, so basically, if we look into the uh, the industry of the sport, basically um, it's a two two plus billion dollar industry when it comes to to revenues and 660 millions are coming from from TV and data from media and data, which is not enough compared to other sports. So so that number is relatively low compared to others. And as I said, um, we have a lot of um, people coming on site in five tennis. I believe the most uh, people coming on site compared to the revenue of the sport. Um, you know, in front of the NBA, NFL, La Liga, Premier League, PEA, and all that. But when it comes to the media, um, it's actually much lower than those, which is something that we actually tackle on and something that Andrea is really focusing on. Um, and why is this? Obviously, there is, um, there is a fragmentation, unfortunately. Uh, ATP is one of the organizations where we have seven different ones, ATP, WTA, the Foreign Slams, and the ITF. And that support, that collaboration is, is much needed 
when it comes to, to grow the sport. Um, I, I mentioned before, median data, we, we make less than $700 million um, in total. And that is nothing really compared to, to other sports like IPL, you know, Premier League, La Liga, Champions, NFL, uh, NBA, where they're making uh, much more than that. So we need to really focus on that. And when it comes to internally, the ATP has worked um, in a very professional way. We do have uh, many talented people working in sport. On our end, player relations uh, is doing a lot for, for the players and the coaches, and we continue to grow, hopefully. I mean, which is related to uh, the purpose of the World Tennis Conference. Uh, uh, the second edition of the World Tennis Conference is about coaches, working for coaches, sharing information. You did a lot for coaches. Which kind of uh, key recommendation you can say for coaches from all over the world? I think um, coaches, to me, when I first started on tour, I started doing ranking and price manager, then I moved into a tour manager position, which is a chief position on site. And for me, it was clear that coaches are a big part of the sport. And, and obviously, even though they're not uh, members or the ATP, they're part of the tour. And we had a very... Uh, um, a program that wasn't great, and in 2012, with the, with the, obviously with Claudio Pistoleschi at the time, he was in the player council. We created the uh, I call it 2.0 um, ATP coaches program, and we we really focused on actually professionalize the, the the coaches, and and we focused on a few things. First, it was the governance. We did create a, a committee that it was important to hear from the coaches, and then also experts from the ATP, and. Um, and we wanted to give many more benefits and, and continue the education. To me, it's something that right now we're focusing a lot is education, and it's going to be true for, for years to come. So we did, or we're trying to give them much more visibility. We're right now talking uh, internally about the coaching in tennis. And obviously, it's happening in the LBTA. It's happening next year in ATP Cup, Davis Cup. But um, we are foreseeing to see if it's doable and meaningful uh, at the tour, and we want to obviously give them a really good service. And so we have a very talented team of uh, six, seven people in player relations um, working, you know, for them. Uh, in this particular moment, we created more than 40 benefits, um, and obviously uh, it's an important program for us. Again, as I mentioned before, it's good, but it can be better. So we're doing a 360 review right now that we will present to the coach in the near future. And, and, and we have a testimony of that because the ATP is a strong support in our conference and the conference uh, is having right now more than 80 speakers. Most of them are ATP coaches, top coaches from the circuit. And which is very important, like you are saying and doing, is that that top coaches wants to share knowledge and keep helping to grow our game. Yeah, Fernando, we, we started the program in 2012 and we grandfathered some of the coaches into the new program with 75, 80 coaches. We're 200 plus right now. And these ATP coaches, obviously the criteria which we designed in 2012 is really high. So they need to actually... Uh, fulfill the criteria and then being approved by the committee, which is really important. And um, the coach of the year, which you have seen, um, has been tremendous. Uh, the impact in coaches is, is great because he's the best coach of the year elected by the coaches, the ATP coaches, which to me, is, it was extremely important from the very beginning. 
And then we have the, um, you know, another award to, to recognize um, the history of some of the most uh, longevity coaches that have been on tour for, for a longer period and has contributed, have contributed coaches and, and the sport. So very meaningful to us. Yeah. Um, let, let me ask you, Fernando, about, uh, because the AGP is doing a lot about innovation. They, they create a new department, a new company, talking about innovation, data, bringing the funds. What are some ideas to share with coaches about how we can bring more people to our sport and also to bring them, uh, like, uh, not only our audience, also, like, participants? Yeah, yeah, another very important question, Fernando. So when Andre came, he was um, he came with a very clear uh, strategic plan, which is um, we gotta focus on the interest in the sport and the fans, right? And he came with with um, a phase one, phase two strategy. Right now, we are finalizing um, phase one, which is a lot. And I get into the coaches in a second and the and the data, but it, phase one is aligning you know, the interest and in actually improving the sport and, you know, price money, the category terms for the tournaments, having a much better calendar all the way from the challengers to the, um, to, to, to the rest of the year with the bigger tournaments, right segregation where everybody's pulling in the same direction and obviously a governance review. And in order to, to actually focus on, on, on the, on the coaches and what can we do, we also created a company called TDI. TDI is owned by ATP and ATP Media. And the idea of that is to maximize the commercial value of data and streaming assets. And with that also comes the idea to actually give coaches better uh, tools to actually perform better and to actually analyze matches better. And right now in the world, TDI uh, came with three new matrix, three new insights that are are going to be, I think it's happening this week already, which is the balance of power, conversion, the score, and, and steel score. And with that, seven more will come later in the year. So more tools will come to the coaches. More tools will, will be available to them for them to be able to, to perform at a high level. Yeah. And uh, let, let me ask you the last question because we know that we can talk by hours, but this is a, a panel talking about our, the sport that we love. No? Uh, yes. Uh, let me ask you, Fernando, uh, how do you see the future? Let's say we can pass 10 years ahead. Let me, it's a double question. How, how do you see the future of tennis? And how has to be the coach of the future? Wow. Ooh, the future of tennis, I hope it's even brighter than it is right now. But um, one thing is clear. Is we, we, need to, we, we, need to, we need to know our fans. We are in a consumer business at the end of the day, and we need to actually um, focus on them, right? And we are in a sport with um, with a product of one billion fans that want and come and watch and play the sport. But at the same time, we struggle to connect with them. So we need to actually have a much centralized system to, to, to be close to the fans. And when I talk about that, I'm talking about you know, being able to watch tennis. Right now, there are so many different platforms. Um, in, in, in ATP, it's ATP Tennis TV. But uh, what about ticketing? What about websites? What about content distribution? Social media, all that needs to be centralized. So, so our consumers can actually uh, do that in a much easier way. When it comes to the coaches in 10 years, um, 
I see, I see, uh, I see internet and I see data and I see TDI growing at a at a very high speed. Where the non-live content is going to grow much more, where social media is going to take place, um, and, and and the investment needs to be on that tech and people investment, in my opinion. We need to uh, to, to to work data strategies, and with that, everybody's going to benefit, benefit. Not only the not only the the fans, but also the coaches. More and more are utilizing um, data to analyze matches. And more and more through TBI, we want to show to the fans more data connected to TV and what they want to consume. So, so I see I see that uh, as the future. Metaverse, who knows? Some other sports are already using that. Um, but that's something that the ATP will probably have to to work on it right away. And, and yes, yes, um, focus on the fans. And and with that, I think we are in a much better place in the future than we are right now, which is really high already. Yeah. Uh, definitely, because like you say, probably tennis is a little behind. If you see what happened at the club, club level or academy level, we are not working so hard in customer culture. That's why all the information that you can bring for coaches could be much better, that they can help all today and you know, provide services, a new program for the, for the players. Fernando. Thank you. Thank you very much to be the second episode of the World Tennis Conference by GPTC, ASI, and ATP. It was a privilege for us. And more than that, thank you for all the things that you are doing, Andrea, Massimo, and yourself to keep growing our sport. Thank you so much, Fernando. It's been a pleasure being here. And, and I hope the rest of the conference is, is very successful. Thank you so much. Let's share now the Miley which is uh, right now sharing his thoughts about what he thinks about the future of tennis. Nada, hi, how are you doing? Uh, very, very glad to have you for the second time at the conference. And uh, as you know, our conference is about to create a bridge between the top personalities, top leaders like you, top coaches, to coaches from all over the world. We have coaches more than, from more than 80 countries. And I, I, I will ask you, because our panel is about the future of tennis, and you are always very curious with a lot of ideas how we need to keep improving our sport. Let, let me ask you, what do you think like the key factors to keep developing our sport? Well, look, I, I, Fernando, I've talked about this many times. You know, tennis is a product. Okay, I think it's a great product. I believe in the product. And it has customers out there. There are different customers. There's customers. And, and the product has to be a little different for each of the customers. So you have 10 and under kids. They want to be with their friends. It's a different tennis to people who are tired of lots of time, to busy business people who have hardly any time. So you have to package the product and, and, and sell it in the right way, as well as to the spectators, because the spectators are customers too. And the product of watching watching tennis on television has to be uh, interesting for them. And I remember Gordon Forbes, I don't know if you remember, Gordon Forbes is a great writer, was a very good player back in the 50s. And he said to me one time, Dave, the most important thing about sport is you care who wins. So it's not so much about the quality, it's about you care. So for example, he said, my 10-year-old grandson is going to play soccer tomorrow and I'm going to watch it and I'm going to care who wins. That's why Davis Cup, home and away, used to be very, very good. So 
coming back, I think people have to keep in mind this, this product. And then you have to realize who are the leaders in tennis. So the leaders in tennis are the big seven. The four Grand Slams, the ITF, the HPWTA, and of course the players who have a big influence on tennis. So I keep saying it over and over again. I'm like a broken redbird, Fernando. But the big seven have to work together. <clears throat> they have to work together and eventually put together seven or eight top line objectives for the sport to promote the sport better. Uh, things like I've said before: top 300 men and women make a good living. Top 700 break even. The players promote the sport. Uh, look at the formats and scoring, et cetera, make it more interesting, things like that. And, and I, I think that's not happening for NATO. In fact, when I saw the big seven get together recently, they talked a lot about pooling commercial rights and they talked about money, but they're not talking so much about the sport. And for me, what I see, Fernando, around the world is, with the exception of Canada and Italy, I see dropping participation. I see most countries, most developed countries, participation in the last 15, 20 years has gone down. France, the class model has gone down. Netherlands has gone from 750,000 registered players to 600,000, et cetera, et cetera. So we have to be careful. Uh, and finally, I'm going to start probably asking some other questions, is that when we look at the slams, and I go to the slams and I watch the big tournaments, too many of the people watching are over 50. And sponsors aren't interested in over 50. So we need to look at how we can make the sport more interesting for younger people. And that means engagement, and it means really looking at the product and packaging it differently. So for me, the big thing going forward is the big seven, the people running the sport, have to set some objectives and work together for the good of the sport. Because look at some things that are going to help them all. Okay, they're all going to compete. A to B competes with Davis Cup, Olympics, and the Grand Slams. But eventually, the sport has to be uh, growing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, from your point of view, because you know all of them, and also you were uh, involved in many, many projects, you ran for to be a president of the ITF, which, what, what, why we have no, uh, that challenge? Why is not producing right now in terms of uh, why they don't sit down the table to, let's say, because we belong to the same sport. We are on the same ship. Uh, why is occurring that? It's an old model, you know, even changing no. the things. Yeah. Well, it's a good question, okay? And, and I, okay, change is never easy. But you know why, Fernando? The big thing is that most of the, the big seven are quite happy with the status quo. The people who work in it, they have their job, they have their salaries, their tournaments are doing quite well, and they don't see the incentive to make changes and to, so they're quite happy with the status quo. I mean, I'm not sure, for example, that the Grand Slams are really worried that the guy ranked 180 in the world loses $90,000 a year. Do they really care? I wrote an article recently, Fernando, where with the Big Seven, there's 4,800 people working in the Big Seven organization making a good salary. And there's only, I mean, they make more than, they, than it costs them, okay? So they're making a profit. And there's 1,500 international umpires who are making $1,000 or more per week plus expenses. So, but only 130 players are making a good living. And the player, 180 in the world and the man, I know because we have, I have a player who's 180 in the world and he made 90,000 last year. And his expenses are 150. So it's, um, I, I think the reason is that they're quite happy because their tournaments are doing well and they're not looking for uh, change. I'll give you an example of, of 
if you wanted, sometimes people are working against the interests of affairs, for example. I can tell you right now, there's probably 40 cities in the world right now want an AP 250. They want one. They have the money. Cairo, uh, Ireland, Dublin, lots of places want to have one, but they can't get one. Why can't they get one? Because the ATP limit the number of 250s. And because of that, if they had 40 more ATP 250s, 200 players would be making a living every week instead of 130. So the reason they don't have more ATP 250s is because the asset value of the tournament stays higher if you have less tournaments. So they're working into more of the tournament direction, the tournament owners than the players. So it's one example. So again, people not sitting around the table saying, okay, what can we do? What are things that are good for the game? Wouldn't it be great if the top 300 men and women made a good living, like in golf, the men, I think there's 400 players making good living in golf. How can we do it? We don't know, but let's work the next three or four years to see if we can do it. Let's make sure the top 700 can break even. Let me give you an answer, uh, Fernando. I, it's, sometimes it's the obvious is the greatest secret, but if you want the top 700 players to break even, it's very simple. What you do is you say, at the 15Ks and the 25K tournaments, only quarterfinals get money and only winner and runner-up in doubles. If you do that, the player making $20,000 makes 40, which is enough to break even without a coach. So a simple thing like that means the players who are not so good won't make any money, but they still have access to the tournaments. So there's lots of solutions out there, Fernando, but people, the reason coming back to this point is that there's no incentive for people to change. Now, with COVID, I think people are, are, are struggling a bit, even the big tournaments, so they're more open to looking for solutions and working together. But when you see things like in the game, things like the rankings, and Davis Cup doesn't get points, but HP Cup gets points. Davis Cup is 100 years old, but HP Cup is recent. It gets points. Davis Cup doesn't. Olympic tennis doesn't get points, but HP or WTA. Yet every other sport in the Olympics counts their tournament for ranking, even golf. How is that good for the sport? How is that good for the sport? But nobody sees the fact that how can they give points to ATP Cup and not to the Davis Cup? And if I was the ITF and I was the Grand Slams, I know what I would do. I would set up our own ranking and the ITF and the Grand Slams would use that for, for acceptance in the big tournaments. Because remember, the ITF own 40% of the tournaments in the ATP Tour, the big tournaments. Japan Open, Monte Carlo, uh, Cincinnati, all those tournaments are owned by the Federation. So you could control things a little bit more. You don't want to do that because that's the nuclear option, Fernando. But if it doesn't make sense, it's not right for the ATP and WC not to get points to the Olympics. It's not good for the sport. It's not good for the promotion of the sport, which we all love. So it's one example of not working together and actually fighting against each other. So, yeah, it, it's, a, it's really... For me, very sad, and, and uh, I'll tell you quite a funny story. I, I met Al Gore when I was running for president. He met me, and we talked a lot about how we could make the sport quite, um, in terms of environmentally friendly and everything like that, having a protocol. And he said to me, he said, Dave, I'm, I'm a recovering politician, <laughs> like a recovering alcoholic. So, so I'm recovering now, having run for president of the ITF, I'd like to a recovering politician. I'm back being a tennis person again, so. Yeah, but for sure, that is an invitation also the World Tennis Conference, because even we are talking about high performance and we are bringing uh, many of the top coaches on board, 
we need to discuss. We need to open and be more open-minded, more uh, clear, honest, that we can we belong to the same sport and to find ways, you know, to, to keep developing and create growth, like you say. I mean, there's a danger at the moment, Fernando. I think you, you saw an article I wrote recently about uh, what's in it for the federations, what's in it for the coaches who are working with the players. The problem at the moment is it's getting more and more difficult for countries like Argentina, like Ireland, like even Netherlands and Belgium, who were previously had Slovakia producing a lot of players, more and more difficult. And tennis is beginning at the junior level to be dominated by the countries that have big tournaments to generate money. Italy, Canada, and the four slams, with Russia and uh, a little bit Spain because of their unique system generating players, developing players. We have to be careful because in the future, it's very important that at the slams and the big tournaments, tennis is represented by a lot of countries because then the tournaments can sell TV rights and promote the sport around the world. Because as I said earlier, people care who wins. So if your players are playing the tournament, you're interested. And you want, to, you want to watch some TV. At the moment, we've got to be careful because unless you're a big academy, like owned by IMG or Moritogos and stuff, it, it, it's difficult to produce players. And you know that in Argentina, you were previously producing a lot of players, but to produce a player to travel 25 weeks of the year is getting more and more difficult. And Argentina doesn't have money generating tournaments for the Federation. So it is quite um, tough to do that. So my worry for the future is that uh, it's going to be dominated more and more by the countries that have the money. For example, it's not a level playing field out there, Fernando. For the, for the Grand Slams, usually their players are traveling with a coach that's provided for free. <clears throat> usually their players are getting a lot of wild cards at the tournaments. Usually they have a player development budget of between eight and $15 million. And you're in Argentina competing with that. It's not so easy. And uh, it's becoming more and more apparent to me that it's getting less and less easy for players, for countries to be successful in junior grand slams. So we need to think about this model. And is there a model where at least some money goes back into the system? For example, the federations pay for most of the shipping of the players to these big tournaments. The pathway, which is the junior ITF, the COSAT, the Tennis Europe, and the entry-level professional tournaments are all funded by the federations. And that, that they lose money. So without all of that investment, there wouldn't be players coming to these big tournaments. But does money really go back to the, to the federations who pay for that? No. So there needs to be something. And, uh, you know, my recommendation to the IHF was that the Grand Slams and the ATP and WTA big tournaments should pay a percentage of their prize money back into a fund which can be used to do more tournaments, to do more promotion, and to help federations to invest back into player development and keep the sport alive. A little bit like in other sports where you produce a player, you can sell it, get some money, and then continue the development of players for the future. But you'd have to find the right model because tennis is, is, is different. But there is a little bit of a danger, and I call it sort of a, the first signs of global tennis warming. You know, we've got to be careful. There's a few signs out there the tennis is, is imploding a little bit and maybe there'll be less countries represented at the top levels in the future. Yeah, uh, and, and also talking about that, uh, going back to what you say about uh, tournaments, uh, about what, what happened on the platform. Also, in terms of the audience, 
the people are more older. If you have the averages between 55 years and 61 years, the people who are watching, you know, all the tournaments around, we need to bring the new generation. That's why probably the ATP is doing a new approach for the next year, doing like with Netflix, uh, following the F1, like a program to follow every player. Doing. But we need to change also thinking that we have to attract a new generation, which are totally different, used to be 34 years ago, as you always say. No? Absolutely. And even from the fact that you need to promote the players much better. I mean, you know, and I know, if you walk around the qualifying of a Grand Slam, the player 170, 180 is a really good player. So, but people think they're not very good because they're not Grand Slam players. So we need to think about how we promote those players because they're really good. And um, this whole thing of, of promotion, I'll give you some examples. People are not thinking outside the box. A good example would be, you book, you buy a ticket for yourself and your son to go to the final of an ATP tournament or WHA tournament. And you go to the final, you're hoping you're going to see Federer or Nadal or somebody like that, but they lose in the, in the quarterfinals or semifinals. So you see two players you're not really interested in. Whereas if you had a format where if you reach, like in golf, you reach the quarterfinals, you, you make the cut. And then on the last day, you're playing first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. Short matches, so maybe it's just two, two sets in a Champions Library. Different money, different different um, points. So players have to play. It means something. That'll be more interesting. The last day of the tournament has matches going on. Whereas, you know, the last day of a lot of tournaments is really boring. If somebody gets injured, there's no matches to see. So it's, it's like thinking outside the box. Can we do it a little bit differently? Can we make it more interesting? Uh, I You know, I'm a great believer in tradition. So I like, you know, Davis Cup and... You know, I like the home and away. I don't really like the, the system so much right now. But um, so in some formats, it's good to have longer matches. But sometimes it's good to have uh, no ad scoring, quite exciting, quite uh, for the for younger people. Um, you know, that there's actually a format which a guy is promoting a lot. I, I kind of like it in some ways, especially for, for adults who don't have much time is 30-30 is tennis. 30-30 tennis, you can play, uh, you start at 30 all, so you play two points and then no ads. You can play three points per game. And it means you can play a three-set match maybe in 25, 30 minutes. I'm not saying it has a, a, a role everywhere, but it could be quite interesting to see a format like that played sometimes. Um, think outside the box. Even for the ITF, I think that the ITF could have a world championship every year or every two years. 96 draw. Like every other na every other international federation, like a Grand Slam, but not called a Grand Slam. It's just the idea of World Championship, and it's played maybe in non-Olympic year, and it's a tournament which generates money, maybe excitement, maybe you give wild cards to each region. But people think that well, we always did it like that. And do you know from a business point of view, the worst thing a company can say is, "What's wrong with the customers? Why are they not watching tennis? Why are they not buying the product anymore?" Well, you know the customer is never wrong. If you need, if the customer is not buying your product, you better change it. You know, promote it differently, wrap it differently, brand it differently, shorter, longer matches, and and, and that's that's what you have to do. And uh, I think people aren't open to that at the moment, Fernando. It's a great sport. I believe in tennis. You know something? I asked a, a question. This is quite 
about 10 years ago at the ICAT AGM, all the presidents, 100 presidents in the room, and I said to them, I asked them a question, is tennis an easy sport? How many people, is tennis an easy or difficult sport? Everybody said it's difficult. Then I said, is soccer, is football an easy or difficult sport? They all said it's easy. And I said to them, guys, football is an easy sport to play, but a very difficult sport to play well. Tennis is an easy sport to play if you use a, a balloon or a foam ball, but it's a very difficult sport to play well. The main point, Fernando, is that if all of our presidents and all of our coaches are going around saying tennis is difficult, how are we going to promote it? We need to be telling people it's a great sport. It's easy. It's not expensive. We, we need to promote it. And, and if you don't believe in the product, we have a big problem. So I believe in it because I know once people get a taste of tennis in an active and dynamic way, they, most of them like it and they want to do it again. But we're not giving them in, in the right way. Usually it's a static, technical, they don't run around, they don't get exercise, and, and, and the product's not, not good for them. Absolutely. And, and I think you, you touch, uh, I'm totally agreeing with that, you touch a, a concept which is very important. We don't have too much customer culture in tennis, even in the coaching side. We need to understand better ways that, you know, our customer, and then to adjust your teaching process, the teaching program for the customer, not repeating the same 20 phrases to everyone. I, I agree. And, and the customer is also for tournaments. I give you a good example. A lot of times, uh, kids, the main reason they want to be in tennis when they're young is to be with their friends. Okay, that's the main thing for them, to be with their friends. So when you have a format where 32 people come to the tournament and after the first three hours, 16 go home. The kid hates tennis. Even if they qualify, their friend went home and they hate it. So we need formats where we recognize what do the customer want? So a lot of adults, what they want is they want social. They want fitness. They want to meet people. They want to try to be improving in their sport. We need to give them that. They're not so interested in being champions. Most of the time when they play competition, they don't want it written down. They don't want to know Fernando Segal beat Dave Miley or Dave Miley beat somebody. No, they just want to play. So you play one match, you win, lose, you play another match, you have a beer afterwards or during it. It's, so understanding the customer, Fernando, is very, very important. What do the customers want 10 and under? And what do their parents want? Because they, they're the people who are going to be engaged. What do the teenagers want? They want cool or maybe they want to be boy meets girl. What do the business people want? What do the retired people want? And this is where we've got customer service. You're absolutely right. And people are a little bit too much. This is tennis. Why don't you want to buy it? And we need to be much more um, better at knowing what the customer wants in coaching and also competition. And I use the word, you know, I use this a lot. And the difference between tennis play and tennis competition. Tennis play is where you play and keep score, but nobody writes it down. Nobody says who's better. You keep score. Tennis competition is where you play and people write down the score and everybody knows you beat me or I beat you. Some people like competition, but a lot of people just like to play. And play, the word play is like fun. So tennis play, we don't do enough of it in the clubs and we need to do it. We need people playing the game, not just coaching. Coaching is not a sport. As Mike Carroll always said, tennis coaching is not a sport. It's, it supports the competition and the play. Yeah, absolutely. 
Let, let me ask you about a, a topic which is related to the high performance, which is the meaning of the conference. What do you think to have coaching uh, on matches and tournaments and professional level? What do you think about it? It's a good question. Okay, I, I have a very strong view on this. I think at the professional level, anything goes. I actually quite like it. I think it's a good thing, the spectators, it's interesting. I don't like it for junior tennis. And the reason is, the great thing about our sport, Fernando, is it develops life skills. Why does it develop life skills more than other sports? Is because when you step on the court, you have to figure things out. You go through situations, you have match points you lose, you have match points against you and you win, you have bad calls, it's different conditions, and you have to deal with it. Now, I know sometimes coaches are, are coaching from the side of it, but the concept is much better. Whereas in other sports, the coach tells you, go there, stand there, pass the ball, don't do that. So I think it's, and also the other thing, Fernando, is at the professional level, top professional, they usually have coaches with them. At the other levels, you have coaches, people who are traveling with coaches, people not traveling with coaches, and you're going to have the parents going on the court, getting the players' instructions. So for me, I think, the, the system is good. Now, for team events and for developmental uh, ideas, for developmental reasons, you can do some tournaments where under 12, under 14, you might want to allow coaching to just give the chance for the coaches to give some tactical sense to players. But generally, in junior tennis, I think it's better not to have coaching. I talked a lot with Jim Lehrer about this. You're Jim, the top psychologist. We talked a lot about this. He really that this would be a terrible move because it's so good for developing life skills. And that's the great thing about our sport. There's not many sports that have this scoring system where you're never safe, you're having good things, you're using different balls, different surfaces, all the things that calls going against you. So I, I, I'm, I'm against it. Yeah, but at the professional level, I think it's, it's good. I'm not sure about the slam, but certainly I think it's a good uh, not gimmick. I think it's good also to raise the, the, the image of the coaches. But I don't like it for the juniors, no. Yeah, but we need to work on that. Uh, uh, we, we know that we can speak uh, by hours, but unfortunately, <laughs> we, do, well, we have a segment with uh, the panel uh, alive uh, for our conference. Uh, I will ask you to say the last word for the coaches. We have coaches on the conference for more than 80 countries. One of the key aspects for us is to keep bringing top people like you and top coaches and uh, sports scientists uh, from every, every area of our sport to normal coaches. I will ask you to say the last word for them uh, to inspire them about which is the future of our sport. You know, what I would say is that, that uh, every day is a school day. And I, I've been lucky enough to be around a lot of top coaches and I've learned a lot. But you need to be all the time thinking to improve. Be interested in things, finding out new things to do to improve your coaching. My first European coaches in was 1985. Uh, my first Worldwide 87. And Jim Lair was there, Louis Tide, Frank Slaysack, Jack Roppel. And I met these people and I was like a mosquito. I was sucking the blood. I was finding out everything. What did the players eat? What did they do? The Swedes were there. The Germans were there. So my advice to the coaches is try to get as much information from the experts as possible. And, you know, we have a saying in Ireland, if you think you're something, you're nothing. So keep humility. 
you, you might know a reason why I'm bad, but you don't know everything. So keep trying to learn. Keep trying to talk to people. Ask questions. No question is stupid. I like being the stupid guy asking, you know, I don't understand that. No problem to do that. So try to keep developing. Be open to new ideas. And don't get too set in your ways because the great thing about tennis coaching, Fernando, I always joke about this, the difference between officiating and tennis coaching. Officiating people, they like in and out. They like black and white. They like the rule book. Tennis coaching, what's great about it, it's all great. It depends. What's a forehand? We all have a different idea of what's a good forehand, what's not forehand to serve. There's lots of different ways to play that are very effective. And so we need to be very open and not too stuck in our way. So one player, we might have to work one way, another player, another way. You know, one player, we communicate a certain way. Another player, we have to be a little bit stronger. You know that. But coaches have to be open to that, not to be too stuck on, I always do it this way. And open to other people's ideas. So that's what I'd say. And that's how you grow as a coach. Yeah, absolutely. In your terms, and in the name of the second World Tennis Conference by GPTCA and SI, supported by the ATP, thank you very much for all the things that you are doing for tennis. And more than all the things you're going to do for tennis in the future. Thank you very much to be with us. Thank you, Fernando. It's very nice to be with you. Best of luck, guys. Well, guys, it was a wonderful presentation and very mildly, plenty of insights of different considerations about how we can create, grow in our sport and different ideas. Let me, let me talk a little bit about what I consider, which is a very important aspect to share with you uh, some of my ideas and then also why we are doing the World Tennis Conference. The, the main thing for me is to create a process that we can change our parliament about coaching, how we can uh, share information, create an, a new ways that bring in the most important people in the game that they can uh, share all the information and that information can be available for you in many different ways. Um, I truly believe that you have to be responsible to create your self-development pathway to keep continuously, continuously every year trying to create grow. Let's say, can you imagine we have a 63 speakers presenting right now? And I put it in, the, in our message. If you can pick up only 1% of each thought, each uh, inspirative um, recommendation on your process, you're going to have 63% better your tennis program. From my point of view, we need to learn many, many things in tennis and we keep uh, growing in how we are uh, receiving information and how we are working on that. One of the key aspects that we need to learn more is about communication. We are working with human beings and every human being is different. That's why from my point of view, and uh, I spoke about it with many organizations since 20 years ago. And I say to them, why you are talking too much about the foreigners or the backend, which is good in some way, but you don't have the 50% of the conference or the 50% of the course talking about communication, negotiation, persuasion, many, many different things, because even you can be the best tennis coach teaching the foreign in your country, you need to have communication ability to deliver the message, to put the input in, the, in your player. 
and to be sure that he understand or she understand what you say. That's why, from my point of view, we need to keep growing in terms to understand the process of the communication and the several aspects related on that. Another thing that I truly believe that we need to work on that is to create a system. Probably you are so good uh, teaching something, but uh, we made many studies in our institute following the top coaches, which used to be uh, uh, in tennis, like coaches like Harry Hoffman, Big Braden, uh, of course, Dennis Vandermeer. We have a lot, Richard Schomburg, we have a Nikki Pillage, we have a lot of big coaches and legends, even in the conference. But we study them. Why, why they have success? Last year, we, we, we did uh, give the award to Nick Bolletieri. Why they have success? Because they have a very good communication program, but also they have a system, a system to teach, a system to coach, a system even to the, the develop themselves. And doing that, they create a brand. Your name is a brand. You can have the brand like Academy, you can have a brand like a, like a club, but also you have a brand like a name. That's very important to understand that the, the prestige, you know, the level of recognition of positioning of, of yourself for the quality of the service that you are providing and you are creating around you is very, very important. That's why we need to um, keep working to understand how we create a system. And if you take a look in my presentation, I'm talking about one, my coach who, who was Felipe Cicero and how he has a system and how I strongly believe that anyone who wants to have success has to develop a system. Another thing which is very important to keep growing and keep learning in our sport is about innovation. We need to bring technology with us because technology can give us the possibility to make our message and our product in a very simple way and also accessible and at the same time for everyone. We are a little behind on this, I think uh, in terms of the medium level or the grassroots level, in terms of academy, clubs, uh, coaching program, we are doing the same that we did in the last four years. We need to grow more and to bring innovation in terms of not only technology and human development and, uh, and coaching and using different methodologies, learning for other industry. There are a lot that uh, we can do in terms of innovation. And uh, we, Last year, we did a conference about it. We're going to do this year again. But the thing is, be innovative in the process that how you are doing your day-by-day -day process. Another thing which is very important to understand related with innovation and changing our paradigm to understand our client is customer culture. We are repeating uh, many things, the same problem to everyone. But every individual, every a person, every family is different. We need to understand the needs of the people and try to give them various services that they can resolve that needs. There are a lot to talk about it. We don't have the time now to do that, but I think you have to keep growing to understand your client. Could be a high-performance player, but could be a junior player, could be a federation, could be a club, could be adults. 
you we need to be more prepared in how we can understand the, the customer and create a customer culture in your environment, in your program. A couple of more things to say uh, in terms, we need to keep promoting our sport. Uh, the, the way to create, I'm uh, more be I believer in the, in the word attraction rather to, to the word fun, because from my point of view, fun is depending on the culture, is depending uh, which, are, which kind of country you are coming from. Uh, I think it's more important in terms of uh, the development concept, in terms of the business, to create attraction and then to create traction. When you do something attractive, you engage people to participate, which is very important. That's why every program, even you, you have to develop your own program, uh, your plan to bring uh, more people or, more, or better quality of promotion for your club. And finally, in terms of create brand, let's keep growing in the human being value of yourself like a coach. It's a very important aspect that we can bring recognition. I think I strongly believe that in our industry, in our pathway to develop coaches, we, don't, we are not so strong in creating recognition for coaches. That's why this is a conference from coaches to coaches. And that is a very important why. We need to be more responsible to do the best, the better possible way for our profession. You are responsible. In our case, we are bringing the best coaches for you, very accessible, very easy to understand. You have different ways to catch the information and to use it, but you have to be responsible, not only to apply, to recognize, to work and do your best that our profession rise a new level of recognition. We have to work also with the organizations to have recognition. We have right now in our conference, two big awards. Uh, today we announced it, the uh, Lifetime Recognition Award of the World Tennis Conference by GPCA, SI, and ATP. We are awarding uh, Nikki Pilic from Croatia. Nikki Pilic was the only coach in the history of tennis who won five times, look at five times Davis Cup with the three different countries. It's a dream for someone to, want to win one Davis Cup for your country. You know, Nikki Pilic won five times Davis Cup. And also he helped a lot of different players to be in the top and to reach the number one in the world or, or to win Grand Slams, no, also Davis Cup. Okay, which is very important from my point of view, which is the last one, how we build up a very strong uh, structure for coaches. One of the axes is create recognition. Recognize the other coach, recognize your colleagues, recognize all what you are doing for uh, the health of the game and try to do your best in an everyday process. Thank you very much to be at the conference. We enjoy it a lot. We, like we say in our hashtag about the conference, this is pure love for tennis. Thank you very much.